The Imprint Companion Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Imprint Films. Imprint Films is a brand new Australian boutique Blu-ray label. Check them out for limited edition deluxe Blu-ray releases of long-requested and previously unreleased films. Check out the past and future releases online at imprintfilms.com.au. You can follow Imprint Films on Twitter at imprint underscore films, or one word, on Instagram at Imprint Films, no space, and finally on the Facebook page at Imprint Films AU. Let's do it, baby. Welcome to another Imprint Companion, the only podcast on the Australian internet about DVD culture. I'm your host, Blake Howard. In fact, I'm your co-host, Blake Howard. <laughs> and joining me, as always, is a Lord of Australian movie podcasts. He found Drago. He lured Ling. He's the Netflix film buffet and total reboot king. It's Alexi Toliopoulos. Hello, mate. Hello. It is my pleasure and my honor to be in the company of the Zodiac Chronicler himself. <laughs> well, here we are. We're here to unbox, unpack, unveil upcoming releases from Australia's brand new boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint Films. And we've got a cracker of a batch, Alexi. This is the first of two episodes uh, on the March slash April 2021 imprint drop. We're talking imprints 35, 36, and 37. The Gambling Fast starring Richard Dreyfus, Let It Ride. The feature film debut of writer Jeffrey J.J. Abrams <laughs> in Mike Nichols regarding Henry starring Harrison Ford. And the tale of Hollywood's original gangster, Howard Hawks's Scarface, a personal favourite of mine. Ooh, I know. I cannot wait. I've, I've been dying to talk to you about a bit of Scarface because the total rebooters who've jumped mm -hmm. the ship into both Imprint Companion and into One Eight Minute Productions know mm -hmm. your love of that movie. And uh, it's really an iconic double, an iconic twofer in the total reboot universe, the Scarface. Absolutely. Episode. Absolutely. For now, they were the last in our reboot remake uh, style of of podcasting i know we've changed it up and scarface was a perfect one to put the freaking pin in it baby <laughs> all right well what have we got today what's the first one we're covering on this batch if Imprint well let's Films. talk about spine number 35 we're talking about let it ride excuse me i'm taking a survey what do you like horse number two the horse the one horse i always bet on five up yours thank you richard dreyfus is jay trotter a man with nothing to lose. But an uninterrupted losing streak. I don't deserve this anguish. There's a horse in the third race. The man just said that the only way this horse can lose is if lightning strikes. What do you like? Do you like the odds on lightning? I mean, really, I don't see why you people can't just watch the horses run around the track and not bet on them. Just let me win this one. On one great day, Jay Trotter, Richard Dreyfus, has a chance to make all his dreams come true. Let it ride is Trotter's motto. After learning about a horse arranged to come in first, he is determined to place a bet and then parlay his money. Trotter thinks he might have a chance to win a fortune if he doesn't listen to the advice of his friends. A funny assortment of characters who bring a new meaning to the expression, the odds. Based on a novel by Jay Cronley, who also did Funny Farm and Quick Change. And also, Blake, I will tell you this. This is the only other film by director Joe Pitka. Do you know what his most famous film is? <laughs> I know because you text me, Alexi, but tell the people who are listening. <laughs> I was like, what? It's freaking Space Jam. 
It's mind-blowing stuff. It is. So firstly, if you haven't seen Let It Ride, it is a total, unbelievably wonderful farce about a band of degenerate, eccentric gamblers uh, played, uh, you know, led by uh, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, who is kind of a real lovable shitbag. And when he's playing a lovable shitbag, he's really, truly at his best. Um, the novelist, Jay Cronley, who wrote this, his other film, Quick Change, is another iconic heist movie directed by Bill Murray. And that's like one of the only films he ever directed in his entire career. I cannot strongly yeah. recommend, recommend another film that has the same kind of farcical nonsense energy. They both totally uh, would make the most banger of a double feature. But man, I'd never seen this one before. I put it on. Mm -hmm. And can I just tell you, it just took me on the funnest ride. I, I mean, it's sorry, sorry to be like really kind of, like lame about that uh, uh, comparison, mm. but it's so funny. It is really terrifically directed. The aesthetic is just washed out, depressive. Everyone's yes. clothes look horrible. Everyone looks like it's they smell smoky. Smoky. Everyone looks like they smell like bourbon and cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And I just, I totally. That's one of the ones in this batch. I was literally like, run it back. I could watch that movie back to back. Absolutely. Such a such an awesome one. You had fun. I love this movie. I ha This is such a surprise winner for me, but also kind of encapsulates what I think this batch is because I think this batch, <laughs> I got to say it, is very weird. It's a weird. weird assortment of six films. The weirdest that we've had so far, it kind of stands 100%. out a little bit because of its weirdness. A lot of movies that you would never expect to ever come into the conversation of like what should get a boutique physical media release. 100%. Um, but this one kind of was the key to me figuring out what it was because I'd never seen this movie before, but I'm very familiar with the poster or that picture of Richard Dreyfuss hands on his knees, oh my hands God. clasped, the money raining down him. And it's because this was a DVD cover that I saw thousands of times. When I used to work at a, at a video store, like putting titles back. I'd always see this one like on the shelf. I was like, oh, what's that? Richard Dreyfuss. Okay, cool. And I think what this batch is, like the identity of this batch is weird physical media, video store, kind of like oddities, like films that just live in a video store. Are you saying that this is the Monday morning returns of the imprint films batches so far? <laughs> Oh my god, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh my god, these or, or even the films that don't leave the shop, like a lot of these are like just <laughs> hidden treasures that are just like sitting on there. That I just have so many vivid memories of like walking past this video, this this cover. I know exactly where it was in the store that I used to work at. I could oh walk god. in like a, like a medium <laughs> trying to find like a missing person and know exactly where it was. And like I, you know, all of these ones like regarding Henry is so much like that, and. I think all three in next week's episode uh, or the next episode of this podcast are exactly that thing. Unbelievable. And I think this one is such like, it's, it exactly encapsulates that feeling of like when you just stumble across something unexpected. You don't know, there's no buzz around this movie or anything, but it's such a fun ride. It is such a good comedy. Everyone loves a good gambling movie. And this is like Everyone. one, I would put this at near top tier, like just a tier below like the all-time greats because I think it's like interesting. It's weird. It's very funny. It has a monster cast. Oh. 
like this is like a this is character actor central basically because <laughs> it's led by one of the all-time great character actors Richard Dreyfuss who somehow was a leading man I don't know <laughs> how that happens but I'm so glad it did we only but have to thank you- Steven Spielberg because he, he just <laughs> he, he went all in on Dreyfuss and that's that's why exactly. we live with it we thank you, Stevie. We thank you, Georgie boy. You guys brought him out to us. But then you've got uh, David Johansson, a.k.a. Buster Poindexter, as he's like gambling buddy. Who yeah. I'm always fascinated when David Johansson comes in from the New York Dolls. Like I- When he's around, I'm like, man, he's entertaining. He's like a proper entertainer. Then you've got Terry Gar, one Terry of the Gar. all-time greats, in my opinion. And I love seeing her in a comedy like this. Jennifer freaking Tilly. Robbie freaking Hagrid I- Coltrane. Wait, we have to... like. Firstly, Robbie Hagrid Coltrane, who is just amazing in this movie. He's great start. in this he's, movie. He's just so great. But Jennifer Tilly of the World Poker Tour fame, who literally mm-hmm. went on to be a degenerate gamble herself, yep. which is just amazing. You then have Alan Garfield, ladies and gentlemen, who is in fact mm-hmm. in the conversation FFC. Yes. It is absolutely. It is a wild movie. You've got a young Cynthia Nixon as well, of all people, from Sex and the City. <laughs> then you've got Richard Edson from, like, First Bueller's Day Off and stuff like that, playing oh. it kind of heavy. But also Tony Longo, who is, like, the all-time great heavy, does, in fact, a short film that is just... It's called, like, <laughs> The Death of Tony Longo. And it's just, like, <laughs> clips of him playing heavies in, like, directed dvd oh. movies. And they give him a character arc just using all these clips. So whenever I gets, see him around, I'm and excited. To- and it gives him one of the coolest... Tony Longo Mm -hmm. moments in his entire career because it's Tony Longo standing at the front and he's like a giant. He's like the Hagrid of this movie. He's a giant Mm -hmm. standing at the front of the race crowd and people go, get down in front. He goes, who said that? And the whole crowd just, you can hear a pin drop. It's just, there's some really funny, there's some, if you want to get mad, so on this show, you're going to hear us gushing and trying to bring to light a movie that is absolutely worth your time and your money mm-hmm. and you should seek it out on physical media because we are lovers of the physical and getting yeah. physical with our media. Now, mm-hmm. if you want to get really mad, go and read some of the reviews of this movie, Alexi, because... Mm, I know, right? They are so off base. They're so like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe we're making light of a subject that's too hard. Oh, I don't get the chemistry. And it's like... I, what are you talking about? This movie yeah. is a blast. It's telling you right from minute one mm-hmm. that it is a complete farce and you should take it that way. And if you've missed that it's a farce, you need to leave the cinema or leave your exactly. lounge room and you, you don't get to watch it and enjoy it and have fun with it. Uh, this movie was a scream. And so many people, and, when pe- when I tweeted about it, watching it, and I know mm-hmm. that you were watching it too, people were like reaching out going, man, I haven't seen that movie in decades. It had the major rounds in American Cable and they're like, yeah. p- it, like people, and then it just disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah, and I got to tell you another thing. Like, I would definitely recommend this to people if you like kind of like genre hybrid comedies like Midnight Run or something. Yeah. I think this is so in the same vein of Midnight Run. Definitely. And what kind of made me feel that was I think the score to this film uh, by Giorgio Moroda of all people oh. who like does like some of the craziest the scores, like Never Ending Story and stuff. He's a true like composing king of like this this decade the 1980s i think this is one of my new favorite like comedy scores i would yes. i would put the score up there with stuff like midnight run yeah. and uh howard shaw's score for after hours of like what an <laughs> interesting like 1980s comedy scores Great. i think the freaking score was phenomenal for this film and and joe pitka there is a really weird interview because like as alexi and i just talked about he directs 
two massive movies. Like Let It Ride mm-hmm. was like a pretty big movie. Space Jam was a monster. And it's such a behemoth and he kind of disappears off the face of the earth. And he was, he even sounds in the interview so funny, like quirkily cantankerous about Mm. being in a position to make a movie that was a studio movie and not like an indie movie or a short or something that was totally him. So it's just one of those weird times where like you you pluck a a kind of uber creative out of, out of the woodwork into the mainstream. And then they're like, "Eh, I'm good with this and then they dip out. So yeah, it's one of those rare finds. I like, I, I, you know, we talk about for imprint, like whether you guys need to buy it and whether it makes it batch worthy. And this is a weird, you know, um, the never rentals or the Monday morning returns. Mm. But, um, but I think this is such a screen. Like I'm recommending this to everyone. Like as soon as it comes out, you guys have to get it. It's too Mm. funny not to get out. Yeah, I would say if this is if if what we've talked about sounds like in your vein of like what comedies that you find interesting, this is a no-brainer for me. Like this was such an enjoyable discovery, and I think like on further viewing, like I already I know that I'm gonna watch this movie again because like <laughs> yeah, this is a put it on and enjoy movie. I feel like my love for it will grow because it's just like it's a bit of a hang because of all those cool character actors. So it's a bit of a hang this film. It's you you nailed it perfectly when you said like it's got that midnight run quality which is a huge compliment from from Alexi and it, and it's true mm-hmm. because midnight run only gets funnier when you know the lines like the more yeah. that you know every line of that movie the mm-hmm. funnier it is because exactly. every single time that Robert De Niro's Jack calls himself Alonzo Mosley and then people mm-hmm. start saying that they've met him before and poor Yafet yeah. Kotto has to explain. It just gets better and better. So this is, I think it's got that quality too. Yeah, it's definitely a Absolutely. Ripper. All right, well, Absolutely. Let's, let's dive into something uh, that is slightly uh, more different, more quirky, but nonetheless, it's probably out of this entire bunch, except for Scarface, the most well-known and recognizable title and I would mm-hmm. argue probably exactly as you said, probably the most recognizable cover if you're in the DVD shop and yeah. um, introduces one of the most prominent filmmaking forces in Hollywood today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's regarding Henry. Mm. And call my wife and tell her I can't make dinner at 7.30. Be fine for the defendant on all counts. Yes. Success made Henry Turner's life perfect. Give me a break, will you? I just want a pack of cigarettes. Fate. Henry, I know you can hear me. Made it something more. Cardiac arrest caused uh, lack of oxygen to the brain. It's going to be a long, tough rehabilitation. I'll be your physical therapist for the remainder of the evening. All right. In some ways, he's starting from scratch here. You're stepping like a natural man. Go ahead. Little loop, cross over. How did you learn to do that? You taught me. Such a shame. I mean, he was so good. You've got a life back at home with friends and family and everything you could ever want. They love you. They're going to take care of you. So Henry Turner, played by Harrison Ford, is a successful but ruthless New York lawyer who needs to win at any cost, even at the expense of time with his family. But a single gunshot to the head brings Henry's fast track rise to a dead stop. And he's incapacitated. He's got no memory of the life he used to lead and he's essentially starting over. And he's about to learn some hard truths about who he is. Alexi, what was it like watching Harrison Ford get shot in the head and live? 
This was a truly bizarre movie. This was... <laughs> I, I had known about this movie forever because it's Mike Nichols. I yeah. had seen the freaking cover on the walls. I have vivid S- memories of picking so up times. this DVD and just going like, what the frick is this movie? Because I'm like, how does it afford Mike Nichols? Then later finding out J.J. Abrams as well. As well. I'm like, what is this? I always made fun of this title. I'm like, this is the worst titled movie of all time. One of like, the regarding worst. Regarding Henry. I'm always thinking about Regarding Henry. What the fuck is Regarding Henry? And just like, who, is, who the fuck is Henry? And what is he in regards to? And now seeing the movie, I know what it's in regards to. It's in regards to his condition because he got shot in the head by freaking John Leguizamo in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> and he's trying to come from comatose back to like, you know, walking, talking, uh, regular person and, um, or oh, re- walking, talking, able-bodied person. And, uh, it is, w- this is so weird. I also remember like having the DVD in my hand, like back in the day, <laughs> like when someone returned it and it's going like, <laughs> let's get regarded in here. Let's get regarded in here. Just cause I was like, what is this? Who calls a movie regarding Henry? <laughs> But not bad. One, one Jeffrey Abrams. <laughs> one Jeffrey Abrams calls it that. That's what he does. And he's in the movie as a little delivery oh, boy. Oh, a little, a little like super awkward delivery boy. He's so awkward mm-hmm. that you're like, it must be the writer. There's yeah, no way absolutely. it's not. This guy paid his way to get a cameo in this. But I actually did not mind regarding Henry. I, after everything I said, like making fun of it for like a majority of my life, (laughs) I genuinely had a good time with this very weird movie because I think it is like, it does have a good cast. You've got like Bill Nunn playing a prominent role. You've got Annette Bening playing his wife. Annette Bening is is totally wonderful in this movie. Fantastic. It's pretty moving. Like it is a genuinely pretty moving movie and Harrison Ford does not get enough praise as a dramatic actor because he mainly, you know, does blockbustery thriller action movies. Yes. So every now and then when you get this drama Harrison Ford, it's interesting. Like it's he always brings something interesting to the role and I think that this might be like one of the most interesting performances he's ever done. Yeah, I his other big dramatic roles that kind of put him on the map are two Pakula movies. Um, and of course, someone like myself is so in that Pakula mm. world. A presumed yep. innocent is one of the, his greatest roles. I mean, he does a role with Peter Weir um, uh, mm. in Witness. Uh, sorry, not in Witness, rather in Mosquito Coast. Um, and then yep. he, he does Witness as well. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's it, he's a really terrific dramatic actor. And I think this movie, it's really funny because the whole point of this movie, I guess, is that like when you read. You, you you kind of give yourself you get a choice right you get a choice in your life mm. to accept who you are as it is and just like that's it and I'm never gonna change but this guy like just it, it's like if Jason Bourne got found on the side of the water and was just like mm. I'm never gonna find out who I am I'm good and then just like went and worked at a supermarket like that's what's so yeah. weird about this movie is that he's not there's so many like bombshells that like come zipping past mm. him and he's just like, no, nah, I just want to be a dad. I just want to be yeah. this new guy. I just want to be this guy that is like 10 minutes old. Absolutely. It's kind of interesting because I think like, you know, Mike Nichols is a master director. Master. I think when this movie is cooking, you're like, there's a master in the kitchen here. 
But I actually would say it's the script that kind of lets this movie down totally. because it does lack that. And like, I think he, Mike Nichols finds some of the nuances that you would want from a film by him. But I think like the script is just still very like straightforward down the line, quite predictable. Um, that kind of like stops it from becoming even like another lesser Mike Lee film from this time period, which is like Emma Thompson's wit. I yeah. think it doesn't even quite reach that level. Yeah. Let alone not even close to primary colors. <laughs> no, no. And yeah, it's, it's a weird one. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. And there's a really mm. terrific Roger Ebert quote about it. And I think both Alexi and I sorted out because sometimes you have to go to kind of like the, the masters to sort of go like, mm, that was a to weird To get mo- the pulse of what ne- was going on back I need then. I need to see what was going on. And he says this wonderful quote, which he says, the and sort of spoilers to the ending, but I don't think anyone who's listening hasn't isn't some way familiar. He's like, the ending of the film shows Nichols reaching back to that kind of barn burning formula that paid off for him in The Graduate, where mm-hmm. Benjamin disrupted the wedding ceremony in his cry of anguished hope and love. Again, this time, the ritual of staid public ritual is really interrupted by the arrival of a seeker after truth. But it's so yeah. neat, so formula, so contrived. I was thinking about The Graduate instead of about the characters I'd spent two hours with. So I suspect was Nichols. And so it's wow. it's kind of ruthless, but it's so spot on. And that's, I think, exactly tags to what you said. This is a master cooking mm. in the kitchen. He kind of knows where this movie actually has legs and has those mm-hmm. moments that can be rousing and, and allows people to sort of grab onto then, you know, to reclaim their life and move forward. And, and, and it does definitely have those qualities, but it's just dropping. It, it's like lost. Like this is like JJ mm. Abrams at peak loss. It's like dropping yeah. hints that are so belabored through the movie about like these like red herrings about where the movie's going to go. And then it just ends very conventionally. And so it's kind yes. of, it's a hard balance between those two things. And so, yeah, I mean, look, if you want to see some vintage uh, interviews with uh, Harrison Ford and Benning and, and Mickey Allen at the time in 1991, or if you want to get Peter Tongat's take, um, which I started listening to, I haven't got the whole way through as an audio commentary, mm. just about the film to sort of talk about some of that stuff. Um, I yeah. think it might be there, but this is a, this is definitely a weird one for me. One of the softer ones in this batch. Yeah, but this I will say I like this way more than I ever expected to. <laughs> I always thought this was going to be like... I was always like, this is a classic like bad prestige movie. Yeah. But I think it's a little better than that. And mainly because I like Bill Nunn so much. And like yeah. seeing Bill Nunn have quite a meaty supporting role... Um, I, you know, that's worth it. That's worth watching this movie for. If you love Bill Nunn, and if you don't know who the frick Bill Nunn is, watch the freaking movie, dude. That's the other thing. (laughs) All right. I can't wait to talk to you about this one. Let's go back to 1932 to the original gangster, my friend. Let's do it. Scarface. In the 1920s, the United States was reeling under the impact of prohibition. The sale of whiskey, wine, and beer was prohibited by law, but there were many willing to break that law. Gangsters took over. Crime flourished. Mobs fought each other for prime territories. There's no use arguing with this joint. Ziegler runs it himself. Step on it. And blood flowed in the streets. 
one of the most influential moves of all time is Scarface 1932. The original Scarface is an exciting story of organized crimes, brutal control over Chicago during the Prohibition era. Academy Award winner Paul Mooney gives an electrifying performance as Tony Camonti, an ambitious criminal with a ruthless drive to be the city's top crime boss produced by the legendary howard hughes and directed by the equally legendary howard hawks this compelling tale of ambition betrayal and revenge is a groundbreaking masterpiece that influenced all gangster films to follow blake i love this movie i'm actually dying to hear your thoughts on it i love this movie so much i I, and and what i what i think about this movie now is that even for 1932 i can you can feel that this movie was radical at the time because so many people talk about you know the the 80s scarface and talk about al pacino Mm -hmm. and de palma and obviously that movie is unbelievably iconic but i remember revisiting the film so far long ago about 15 years ago when i first saw the original scarface and now watching it ready to talk to you and i was like this movie is so dangerous it's playing with lots of different themes and it like way more of the themes than you could possibly think of resonate Mm -hmm. in both films both the Scarface you may be familiar with with Pacino um, and this one with uh, Paul Mooney and it is I I love this movie it is very Mm. unbelievably um, uh, subtly and subliminally shot by Mm -hmm. Howard Hawks Um, so much so that Martin Scorsese's The Departed is like also in the Scarface universe for me because of how Mm. much it is replicating so much of the iconography and the symbolism that is happening in this yeah. movie, but it's just, it, it is, it is one of those movies that is radically ahead of its time. Um, it is, it is definitely classical in so many of those things like formal styles mm. and acting that you would be familiar with, but thematically this movie is just unbelievably rich and still influential and iconic. And you can just see why it had such an influence. It literally is, you know, uh, you know, the total reboot boys definitely know this um, as well. It's about, there are genre busters um, in, mm. in different things. And this movie busted genres so bad that, you know, even, you know, 2000 and, you know, 2000s Oscar winning best pictures are still contending yep. with and riffing mm-hmm. on the ideas that are in a movie that's made in 1932. So I, I love this movie a lot. Yeah, I'm right with you. Like I, gangster movies genre is like my favorite genre. It's like Same. where I get really geeky. It's what I get really excited about. It's like my first love into film <laughs> and into cinema and becoming a cinephile. And uh, I think if you like that, you do owe yourself and owe the genre the trip back to the 1930s to see where this became like the like one of the genres that was like first in cinema like it, yes. you know there were other you know, the gangster things existed outside of cinema for before it but this is really like an early cinematic genre that exists very like you know i had to put into words i'm struggling here because i love it so much <laughs> but you know it's an early cinematic genre it's, it's chicken or the it you know it's, it's hard because it's a genre before it before cinema came around yeah it's chicken or the egg stuff man that's the thing i think mm. it's so hard to do because it's like right then in the 1920s or like early you know obviously yeah. like like very late 19th century like early 20th century like cinema is coming mm-hmm. into an art but when cinema is an established art form this genre like takes yep. over and it's like, it's, and so, you know, that's the language of, so, you know, obviously the language of film noir and the entire gangster mm. genre and all those sorts of things. But yeah, it's just, it's really special. And the transfer we talked about via text, Oof. even before recording, it is yeah. really beautiful. 
It looks great. Like, I've been wanting this movie to have, like, a really good physical media release for some time. I remember I had to buy, like, a cheap, like, $3 DVD that I found <laughs> at, like, Dick Smith when I was, like, 15 for this film. So I've wanted this for so long, and I'm so... I cannot tell you how happy I am that it's here, because... I would say of the 1930s gangster movies, there's a lot of great ones, but I think Scarface is the one that has aged the best and yes. it's the one that I think is the most iconic. But because it's United Artists, not Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers was like the iconic gangster studio at the time. Like the gangster, they produced all the gangster pictures, all the ones that became iconic except for this one and a couple of others. But I think because of that, you know, it's kind of just disappeared apart from having like a big remake. It kind of disappeared. It hasn't, ha this version of it hasn't had like a lush re-release or as excitement. It's all the people like Scorsese and De Palma that have like kept it alive like for this movie. So it's like such a rare treat to like see the best one like come <laughs> back like this and look this beautiful. It'd be in a box this nice with like loaded with special features as this is. Oh. So uh, which is i cannot believe that i finally got it like it's so exciting but also the thing about this one that makes it the best is this genre is all about being ripped from the headlines like and this one is so much like they take so much from al, uh, al capone they take so much from his life and so much of like his notoriety and like build that into a film that is very tonally interesting like there's weird humor in it there's like physical gags there's stuff that's very scary and stuff that i would consider like very violent or strikingly scary uh, mm. in like a menacing gangster kind of way for an old picture like this that i think still hold weight and still hold value today yeah it's that's what that's what i mean it's like you it is quite radical. Like it's just, mm. that's, that's the best way to describe it. That's why Absolutely. I guess the filmmakers at the time were getting so much scrutiny from the studios and from, mm -hmm. you know, obviously this is peak Hayes code time of making sure that, uh, that, yeah. and, and, and having to, um, and for the Hayes code, if people aren't familiar, it was basically a set of rules that um, Hollywood at the time sort of for, for many, many years had to adhere to that mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that their films weren't, uh, basically hurting the public, hindering the public or, or saying messages that are antithetical to the values of the country. And under that mm -hmm. banner was a lot of, uh, you know, sexual repression and a lack of yep. being able to do any kind of, uh, anything kind of violent. And as the Hayes Code kind of dwindles away and then kind of dies in the late 60s, you know, you see that explosion of what becomes New Hollywood. But um, yeah, th this is one of those films that is really towing the line. It re mm. In fact, I think it pushes the line and steps over it a Absolutely. couple of times in this movie. And it's like, Truly. it's like 1932 and you're like, wow, they got away with that? Like, that's so yeah. cool. I like it. And one of the cool things about this box set or this uh, release is that it has multiple versions of the film. And mm. so basically what the, the versions are is that they had to like tack on a new ending at some point like so it released theatrically the way they intended it but it had like a scrawl at the start of the movie where they're like this movie is telling you gangsters are bad and then you watch the movie go that's not what this movie's doing whatsoever no, no. <laughs> that you, you know, the movie doesn't do that um and then like they had to tack on an ending where you see Tony Camonti go through like the legal process of being arrested, going on trial, being hung or electrocuted, I can't remember, but um, you know, receiving capital punishment. And uh they 
have the original version that doesn't have that ending where he like dies in like the in the fight much like the Scarface that everyone's familiar with but then they also have this one where he goes to like through all the punishment so it's kind of amazing to finally get both those versions like this and any release for me that has and this is where Criterion is so wonderful as well Mm -hmm. um, as another label is if you and 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 I do have to loud Fox. Fox are really great at doing both versions. And some of their more recent mm. ones, especially Ridley Scott versions, do have both. They do have the original theatrical and the, and the later one. But you got to love when you, they just give it warts and all. Like, I want the version that yeah. was ripped away from the director. Um, mm-hmm. And then I want the one that's pie- pieced back together. We saw it earlier yes. with Major Dundee, um, the, mm-hmm. the the great Peckinpah movie, that we saw the version that was ripped away and then we saw the re- reassembly. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just all for that because it's such a good thing as a film geek to be like, you know, we want to kind of see... I want to kind of see the altered version first. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it's it's 2021 and people are still, I mean, there was a whole gang of internet folk lobbying for their favorite yep. movie to get its cut. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just saying we like, we like both cuts coming out. We like to exactly. see both of them out there. And it's one of those interesting things as well, like that alternate ending that was tacked on. Nobody knows who made it. Like it just exists and the cast of the movie aren't in it. Like you never see Tony Camonti's face. You never see Paul Mooney in that final section. It's all like, it's so weird. And so like they kind of go into it. and Hughes, nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. No one knows. No, literally they don't know who did it. It's bizarre love it and the, so yeah. just just on those special features drew casper does the audio commentary with the theatrical version there are some good interviews as well with uh matthew sweet and tony Raines. where you just if you can't get enough of like the lore of this movie um those guys do a great job chatting about it so i really enjoyed those but that's it for the first part of our march mm-hmm. and april 2021 batch of imprint films mate this has been always great to talk to you do you want to give a, a, a pleasure can you give a shout out before we talk about where folks can find us? Can you give a shout out of that monster May 26th bundle that we're, we're about to like oh have dropped on gosh. our face? Yeah. I'm really looking for Alfie that comes with the documentary as well uh, of uh, my generation, which is about Michael or about the sixties narrated by Michael Caine. That's what I'm really looking forward to in that batch. Um, I am dying for James Khan's the gambler. I'm dying for mm-hmm. it. I'm I I I'm so crazy for it. And uh, for for our international listeners, I know that the Criterion have currently got a great gambling uh, retrospective that's happening right now. That includes mm-hmm. the Gambler on there. So getting that on physical media for the first time is going to be an absolute treat. But my friend, my legendary co-host Alexi Toliopoulos, where can folks find you? between our shows if they want to hear more of your beautiful voice and your hot, well, hot, spicy takes. <laughs> hot voice, hot hot takes, and also hot, beautiful boy. <laughs> can be heard on uh, Netflix's The Big Film Buffet with Jen Fricker where we give you previews of what the big Netflix releases for that weekend are, giving you some recos for your weekend. Uh, very fun, exciting podcast. And also Cameron and I are back with Total Reboot where we are going through teen movies at the moment. We picked a big genre that we love a lot, that people connect with the movies a lot, and are doing maybe a dozen or so episodes about iconic teen classics like American Pie, Ferris Bueller, etc., etc. Uh, Blake, what have you got happening at the moment? Uh, I'm I'm neck deep into Zodiac chronicle for mm-hmm. one heat minute productions also popping up uh, are some great episodes of miami nice uh because yes. we, are, we are continuing to find uh incredible filmmakers and film mm-hmm. buffs and artisans who just 
I mean, they're just fiends for mojitos, just like me and my great co-host Katie Walsh. We can't get enough. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to find anything uh, that we're doing, uh, uh, that I'm doing, it's just all on oneheatminute.com and that will lead you off into all those other things. But um, Alexi and I, this imprint companion is part of a, a suite of podcasts that Alexi and I are now going to be doing called A Serious Disagreement, which will cover... Mm-hmm all physical media stuff that we talk about. We've got the imprint companion uh, that will cover imprint specifically, but there has been a bit of when Harry met Sally, uh, I'll have what she's having with some of our Mm -hmm. great uh, physical media producers around the place that are wanting to get us to chat about their great stuff. And we are looking forward to chatting to it with you and with each other. But we will say that Imprint Companion will remain pretty much unchanged. But there will be a few extra episodes here and there in Serious Disc Agreement where we'll be talking about other great physical media pieces. Because we freaking love DVDs and Blu-rays, dude. That's, that's <laughs> the truth. We love them. We love them. We love physical media. We love touching things. We love smelling mm-hmm. the cases. We love slip cases. We love the smell of it, the taste of it. <laughs> and we love <laughs> the sound of it. And you hopefully have loved the sound of this podcast.